0: In her book, Teaching a Stone to Talk, and by the way, what a great title, Annie Dillard tells about the ill-fated Franklin Expedition of 1845. The explorers sailed from England to find the Northwest Passage across the Arctic Ocean. They they put aboard their ship and lots of stuff they didn't need. A 1,200-volume library, fine china, crystal goblets, sterling silverware for each officer with his initials engraved on the handles. Unfortunately, there wasn't much room for coal. They took a 12-day supply for their auxiliary steam engines, and at some point, the ships became trapped in these vast, frozen plains of Arctic ice. After several months trapped in ice, Lord Franklin died. The men decided to walk to safety, trek to safety in small groups, but but nobody survived. One story was especially heartbreaking. Two officers pulled a large sled more than 65 miles across the treacherous ice when rescuers found their bodies. They discovered that the sled was filled with a great deal of table silver. (laughs) The extra baggage caused their walk to come to an untimely end. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to come back to it more than once in this episode. Here's the question. How's your walk? How is your walk? Social worker Margaret Sangster told her colleagues about seeing a young boy in an urban ghetto who looked... (laughs) like little more than a bit of twisted human flesh. He had been struck by a car months earlier and hadn't received proper medical attention. He, he wasn't part of her caseload, but she took the boy to an orthopedist who, who performed surgery on his legs. And two years later, the boy walked into her office without crutches. His recovery was complete. They embraced and Margaret was tearful and said to herself, if, if I've accomplished nothing else in my life, I've made a real difference with at least this one person. Several years later, she was sharing that story and she continued. She said, where do you suppose that boy is today? School teacher, physician, social worker. With deep emotion, she responded, no, he's in the penitentiary for one of the foulest crimes a human can commit. And then she said this, she said, I was instrumental in teaching him how to walk, but there was no one to teach him where to walk. So let me ask you again, how's your walk? When evangelist Pat Kelly played Major League Baseball for the Baltimore Orioles, his manager, you might remember this name, was the always fiery, mostly successful Earl Weaver. Weaver, like many top managers, man, he just had a laser focus. He kept his, one, his mind on one thing and one thing alone. And that was success, winning baseball games. One day, Kelly stopped to talk with his manager. Weave, Pat said, it sure is good to walk with Jesus. That's nice, the manager replied gruffly, but I'd rather see you walk with the bases loaded. (laughs) Yep, here he comes again. How's your walk? See Paul's practical instruction in Ephesians, and and remember, if if you remember, the first three chapters of Ephesians are theological and doxological. It's it's what do you believe about God, and have you experienced His glory? And because of His glory, and because of what you believe about God, about your life, about heaven, uh, about all of it, here's what you should do. Practical instruction. It, it largely centers on the metaphor to walk. Now, in the NIV, it says live a life, but 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 practically speaking. It says, Walk. From chapter 4, verse 1 to at least chapter 5, verse 21, and perhaps even all the way through chapter 6, the teaching flows through and is saturated by this idea, this verb to walk. In chapter 4, verse 1, it's walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In chapter 4, verse 17, it's walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. In chapter 5, verse 2, it's walk in love. In chapter 5, verse 8, it's walk as the children of light. And in verse 15 of chapter 5, it's, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And I don't know, I, I really like that metaphor, to walk. It, it suggests something intentional, controlled, enduring, directed, not frenetic or, or aimless. Short-term effort, a sprint is not what we're looking for, but rather, as Eugene Peterson calls it, a long obedience in the same direction. Yeah, I think way too often we we have this sense that, you know, God should zap me or I just need to become all better right away. I need to become 100% pure. I need to become 100% passion. I need to become all like Jesus right away. But, but that's not what the Bible says happens. Eugene Peterson has noted, religion in our time has been captured by a tourist mindset. Said, religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it's a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversion, he said, plan their lives in, around events like retreats and rallies and conferences. will try anything until something else comes along. Everyone is in a hurry. Everyone wants shortcuts. They're impatient for quick and hopefully easy results. They've adopted the lifestyle of a tourist, and they only want the high points. We want discipleship without discipline, but it doesn't exist. We seek what we can get by with, but the challenge is to do what we should to live worthy of the call. Perhaps the problem, as one commentator put it, is we have a million-dollar salvation and a five-cent response. I mean, be honest. Sometimes it seems like we are unimpressed with God's salvation. So again, in this episode, I simply want us to ask ourselves the question, how is my walk? Am I carrying excess, unnecessary baggage that in the end might keep me from reaching my destination? Having been healed and shown how to walk, am I now walking in the wrong direction to the wrong places? Am I more interested in a walk with Jesus or or the walk of success? Do I have a a tourist shuffle? Eager for results, but uh, but I only want the high points. I'm I'm only able to invest a couple weeks once a year. In a moment, I'm going to read the next section of Ephesians chapter 4, but before I do that, let me simply say welcome to episode number 181 of the podcast, More Than Bread. This is a, an 18 to 21 minute pause in the midst of, or, or maybe for you at the beginning or ending of your day, where we can be reminded that of all that we did today or all that we will do today, nothing we did or will do is any more important than what we've heard, as long as what we heard was the words of God. I mean, it's more important than all the stuff we own. If we want to thrive, if we want to walk worthy, we need more than bread for our stomachs. We need something that will feed our souls. And that something is every word that comes from the mouth of God. And when the words of God, you've heard me say this before, when the words of God are breathed into the people of God by the spirit of God, man, the life of God begins to be lived out in the soul of people and we thrive. So listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. I'm reading from the English Standard Version so that we get that metaphor walk in there. Verse 17, Paul says, Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And remember that word Gentile just means everybody who is not the people of God. There are Jews and Gentiles, Right? You must no longer walk as those who don't know God in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you've learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Walk worthy of your calling, Paul said in in verse 1 of chapter 4. No longer walk like the Gentiles do. He says here, don't walk in the futility of a darkened mind and a hardened heart. There's a connection there, right, between heart and mind. (laughs) In some cases, it is is the most difficult 18 inches to walk. (laughs) It's the most difficult 18-inch journey we'll ever make. But there's a connection here between a darkened mind and a hardened heart. But Paul moves us from the question, how is your walk, to the question, where is your mind? Because he knows that we can't consistently walk in a way that is inconsistent with what we believe. So where is your mind, and how is your walk? Where is my mind? Paul says, in the name of the Lord, I insist that we do not walk as the Gentiles do, as people who don't know God do, in the futility of their mind. Now, futility, what does that mean? It's just simply deceptive worthlessness, worthless walking. And let's be honest, people all over are being deceived into thinking that their walk has purpose, that it's worthwhile. Whether that walk is a walk of success by the world's standards doesn't matter. If if we're headed nowhere, no matter how long we walk, nowhere is where we'll go. Now, Paul's primary concern here in this part of chapter 4 is not so much to give a sin list. I mean, there is a list of sins, but... But really what he's doing is he's describing a distortion and a disorientation of the mind. Verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding. And again, in verse 18, the ignorance that's in them is due to the hardening of their hearts. And and that insensitivity has led to sensuality with a continual lust for more, verse 19, a desire for more and more. There's a futility in our thinking when we're alienated, when we're separated from the life of God. Now, it doesn't mean that Everybody who doesn't know God is dumb or stupid. That doesn't mean that at all. But there's a disorientation. There's there's a worthless element of our thinking when we're separated from the life of God. And you know what? All around us are people who are buying into this empty, horizontal, who-needs-God perspective. Their world is strictly that which is sensed. Their only point of reference is humanistic, secular. We, we see it lived out in social media lives. We hear it in the political bombastic spe- speeches. We, we walk past it in the hallowed halls of our universities. Empty minds, darkened understanding, and an inward ignorance. Hardness of heart leading to a deadness of soul and finally to a, a recklessness of living. Now, truthfully, all we have to do is to change the label from Gentiles to Americans, and we have very little difficulty putting today's postmark on Paul's letter, right? I mean, in homes across America, the primary sign of life when the sun goes down, and, and even before the sun goes down, is, is that glow of the little box that we hold up to our eyes with our hands. Our, our minds are surrendered to all sorts of voices other than every word that comes from the mouth of God. We devote ourselves to influencers who have no knowledge of the glory of God. And, and when we acknowledge God at all, it seems like we just too often, we, we don't have time to depend upon Him. We're, we're too busy finding for ourselves what we can get from ourselves. We're blinded to what's real. We've been deceived about what truly satisfies. We become insensitive to the God who gives us life. We're, we're giving our ears to other voices, not soaking in the word that gives life to our souls and light to our ma- minds. And, and that leads to worthless, Walking because of the ignorance within us, we have a continual thirst for more deceitful desires. Paul calls them in verse 22. Now, that's an interesting definition of sin, right? Deceitful desires. There are desires that are good. John Piper said that sin is what we do when our hearts are not satisfied with God. No one sins out of duty. We sin because it holds out some promise of happiness, and that promise enslaves us until we believe that God is more to be desired than life itself. So let me ask it again. How's your walk? Where's your mind? Does any of this ring true for you or for someone you care about? If so, then let me say that there's hope. Paul's words assume that things can be different for us. So he moves us to the question if I don't like the path I'm walking, how can I change? In his book, Point Man, Steve Farrar tells about a photographer for a national magazine who was assigned to shoot this huge forest fire. And he was told that a small plane would be waiting to take him over the fire. So he arrived at the airstrip just an hour before sundown. And and sure enough, the Cessna was waiting to go. He jumped in with his equipment and shouted, let's go. The pilot swung the plane into the wind and soon they're in the air. Fly over the north side of the fire, said the photographer, and make several low-level passes. Why? asked the visibly nervous pilot. Because I'm going to take pictures. I'm a photographer, and photographers take pictures. After a long pause, the the pilot replied, Wait, wait a minute, you, you mean you're not the instructor? <laughs> now, Paul places a great deal of emphasis on education, but contrary to modern day thought, ideas are not morally neutral. Knowledge is useless unless it brings about wisdom, and the quantity of our wisdom, listen to me, the quantity of our wisdom will be dependent upon the quality of our instructor. I don't know, perhaps our problem today is that so few people want to study Jesus, and even fewer take the time to study under Jesus, For Paul, the possibility of change comes only through an encounter with Christ. In verses 20 and 21, the literal phrases Paul uses are things like, learn the Christ, heard him, taught in him. In other words, Jesus is the instructor, the subject matter, and the classroom in which the teaching takes place. Why? Because truth is found in him. Wherever we find Jesus, we find truth. And wherever we find truth, we find Jesus. Truth does not exist apart from the one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. So how do we change? We we need to be schooled in the Messiah, not simply knowledge about him, but firsthand knowledge of him. He speaks. We listen. He teaches. We hear and apply. We come to know him. We listen to him and learn from him and lean into his ways. And listen to me, it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. That's why you you got to develop grit. You can't quit. It just won't happen overnight. Stuart Briscoe joined the Marines as a young man. He shares a story, says that at least partially he joined them because he loved the magnificent dress uniforms and he thought he'd get one immediately. But months later, when he still had not received one of those magnificent dress uniforms, he, he asked why. And they told him, listen, you are a Marine. The moment you walked through the gates, you became a Marine. You are a Marine to stay. He said, well, then give me my uniform." They replied, but you're not fit to wear one yet. We'll have to do something about your back, your chest, and your shoulders. We'll have to teach you how to march, how to walk, how to look like a Marine. Then you can wear the uniform. See, Stuart Briscoe was a Marine the moment he was sworn into that position, but it took some time before he could wear the uniform. It, and it took a daily routine of hard work, little changes day by day to continue to wear the uniform. We are changed the moment we become Christians, but renewal transformation, being shaped to be more like Jesus from glory to glory, Paul describes it. That comes daily. That comes daily over a long period of time. You can't quit. And, and how do we renew our minds in that daily process? It's the combination of the Spirit and the Word. We so desperately need the Word. Paul Paul isn't saying, you know what, it'd be nice if you knew the Bible. He simply assumes that if we are Christians, Christ followers, Jesus apprentices, we've been taught and we're being taught by Jesus. We're being taught Jesus by Jesus. We're We're being taught His ways and His truth. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So We need to maintain our focus and expand our vision of the importance of listening to, learning from, and leaning into Christ, into the word of God. It is the very meat and fiber of those who call themselves the people of the book and followers of Christ. It's the word, the truth that brings life. These things are written, John said, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life in his name. It's the word of which Jesus spoke when he said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free it's the word which gives us the hope that's so necessary for the nourishment of our souls without hope for the future man we get so discouraged and depressed and our delight drains away especially with all that's happening in the world but paul said in romans 15:4 that everything that has been written was written for our instruction so that by steadfastness not quitting <laughs> by the encouragement of scriptures we might have hope so how's your walk where's your mind? How can you change? Our walk will not change if our minds do not change. We cannot consistently act in a way that is inconsistent with what we believe. So what do you believe? That's the question. Do you believe that walking the way the rest of the world does is what will bring you ultimate satisfaction, the abundant life? If so, then you will do the world walk. But if you believe that only Christ brings satisfaction, if you have faith in the promises of God's future grace, then you will walk in obedience to Christ. How's your walk? At 7 p.m. on October 20th, 1968, a few thousand spectators remained in the Mexico City Olympic Stadium. The last of the marathon runners, exhausted, were being carried to first aid stations. An hour earlier, Mama Waldi of ethiopia had crossed the finish line the winner of the 26 mile event as the people were preparing to leave those sitting near the marathon gate suddenly heard the sound of sirens and police whistles and and all the eyes turned to the gate john aquari wearing the colors of tanzania entered the stadium he was the last man to finish the marathon his leg was bloody and bandaged severely injured in a fall grimacing with each step he could barely walk. He hobbled around the 400-meter track. Everyone in the stadium stood and applauded. He had no chance of winning a medal. Someone asked him why he didn't quit. He replied, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles to finish it. When William Carey, the great missionary, began thinking of going to India to be a missionary, his father pointed out to him that he had very little that would qualify him for such a task. But Carey simply answered, "I can plod," <laughs> and that plodder started the greatest movement of missions that the world has uh, ever seen. I can do that. Y- you can do that. You you may not be the world's greatest sprinter, but you can plod. I can plod. How's your walk? I have to be honest, mine mine could be better, but I know this, the passion of my heart is to finish well. The passion of my heart is to walk worthy of the Jesus who gives me grace. The passion of my heart is that one day, in the midst of the applause of heaven, this plotter would hear his father And his big brothers say, well done. You finished the race. Claim the prize. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you'd give each and every person, every man, woman, every child, every young person listening. God, would you give us a a determination, a, a motivation? Would you give us the motivation of your spirit to finish well? To finish, to finish the race, not just start it, but, but to have the grit and determination to keep going, to keep going, to, to become a little bit more like Jesus every day, to partner with you in the process of becoming like Jesus and, and doing what Jesus did, what Jesus does. God, would you form our walk? Would you give us the courage and the grit to walk step by step, day by day, to walk like Jesus walks? God, not in the futility of our mind, but would you open our minds? Would you help us to care about what you care about so that we will change what we believe? And when we believe, our, our minds will be enlightened. God, we need it. We need it so desperately. God, the passion of our heart is that one day, having walked the way we walked, that we would hear you, that we would hear Christ say, well done, you finished the race, claim the prize, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.